What is up, everyone? I'm Jeff Lund, and this is the Mediocre Alaskan Podcast, talking with Heather Kelly from Heather's Choice Backcountry Food uh, Company out of Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, how's it going, Heather? And thanks for taking some time out of uh, your your Tuesday. Yeah, thanks for having me. Things are good. We're we're about to take a big break in the business for the holidays, so counting down until Friday. <laughs> are you are you going on a vacation? No, we're just shutting down the kitchen for a couple weeks and giving everybody a break. Our year can be so freaking busy starting in, oh, March, all the way through the holidays. So <laughs> we're mm-hmm. about due for a little bit of a break. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people who are leaving town. I, down here in Ketchikan, uh, a lot of people leave town to go warm up, but a lot of people just don't want the hassle of trying to leave the state. So you're still in town. It's still dark. It's still cold but at least it's a little less chaotic. Yep, absolutely. How do you guys even get out of Ketchikan? Do you have to take a ferry? Or I thought the ferry was shut down or something crazy. Fortunately for uh, for Ketchikan, we have Alaska Airlines down here, but a lot of those other rural spots, they don't have it. So they have to ferry to Ketchikan um, and then fly out from there or ferry from wherever to Juneau or some of the, the main hub areas. So Ketchikan's nice because we're we're on the Alaska Airlines route. Uh, but I grew up on Prince of Wales Island, and so we would have to take the the ferry to get to Ketchikan, and it was just a big hassle. Yeah, I can only uh, imagine, because the ferry is awesome when, when it's working, but I talked to somebody from Cordova recently who said that there was no ferry for like nine months or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. The, the smaller towns really depend on it, mm-hmm. and it's the only way to get there. On Prince of Wales, there's a separate ferry that's the the Inner Island Ferry Authority that goes from Ketchikan to Hollis daily. So at least the people on Prince of Wales, Kloak, Craig, Thorn Bay, Heidelberg, they can, you know, get to town and they can get off the island daily. But, you know, Cake and a lot of those other rural spots on the islands down south here, they can't get to it. So it's... Uh, the things we take... That's the funny thing about... <laughs> Yeah, and the the funny thing about and people don't understand what they're if they're from the lower forty eight is that you don't get to different areas of Alaska very often. Mm-mm. Like you've got the central part, um, you've got the Anchorage part, you've got the southeast part, and then you know, if, have you ever been to the, to the Aleutians or or the the North Slope or anything like that? No, <laughs> my whole life. And yeah, you're totally right. It feels like you kind of it's almost as if. Alaska has five different states within it that you just kind of stay within. <laughs> yeah. So you grew up in Anchorage, went to graduated from South. Did you see Alaska like during travel? Did you play sports when you were in high school? Uh, no, no, I did not. I was a snowboarding brat. So just skied at Alaska mm-hmm. basically every day through high school and then left for college and yeah, eventually moved home. So I was like, Dude, Alaska's awesome. <laughs> Obviously, for a little bit to fully appreciate it, but yep, I left and then eventually came back. Yeah. Well, has your perception of Alaska changed at all? I know growing up in Southeast, I went to these smaller communities and it was just for basketball trips across country, and so the weather was terrible. I've only been to Skagway once, and that was when it was negative 30 or whatever. But now, you know, people go there during the summer and it's like one of the main attractions in Southeast. I, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. So there's these, these, Alaska is not just some place you travel. Anchorage isn't just a place you go for state for basketball. It's, there's a lot of cool stuff there. So um, is that part of why you came back to Alaska? Because it's not just where you grew up, but also where you want to live? Yeah, I 
feel like when I left, obviously there was the novelty of, I got to move to Bellingham, Washington, which I feel like I was there at a really good time because when I was going to school in Bellingham, Bellingham was the place to be just super fun. And yeah, it's cold and wet, but that's fine. The summers are beautiful. And I feel like after moving to Colorado and I spent some time in the Boulder area and honestly, I'm sure you can relate. I got super overwhelmed with the hot summers where I was living in my air conditioned apartment, driving my air conditioned car to the air conditioned gym to the air conditioned mm-hmm. grocery store. And I was just like, dude, get me out of here. Like I want to go home <laughs> to Alaska where like air conditioning isn't even a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But people would say that you got to worry about the bugs and you go out to worry about the cold and everything else. So how is it that you're able to tolerate mosquitoes and, you know, just the Alaska life, which would be a torment to people who live down south? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure. I think it's just what you what you're used to. I would definitely take mm-hmm. 60 and 70 degree weather with a smattering of bugs in June than 90 and 100 degree temperatures in cities. <laughs> like, ugh, I, I can't hang. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, those the big cities too, and part of living off the grid is is or like you know Southeast Alaska islands is you have individual cities with an individual like culture to mm-hmm. it. If you go to a lot of these spots down south, you have somewhat of an individual culture, but you're you know 15 minutes away, 20 minutes away from a medium-sized city and then another hour from a large city. Like you can reach that stuff so easily. And so, you know, Anchorage is pretty distinct compared to like Wasilla. Even Wasilla and Palmer are different and they're pretty close. Which is way different than Fairbanks and nothing at all like Southeast. Um, So can you talk a little bit about uh, just kind of the culture of of Anchorage and the individual communities here? Sure. So we live in Bird Creek, which is just south of Anchorage. And my grandparents homesteaded this property in the 1950s. And then my dad has been on the property his entire life, so he's never left. So even being 25 minutes south of Anchorage between... Anchorage and Girdwood, it feels like Bird Creek and Indian are kind of its own little microcosm and everybody really keeps to themselves. So I would say maybe there's a pretty big lack of community in some ways. Like, and I think that you hear that a lot about Alaska, like people move to Alaska to kind of get away and sort of mind their own business and do their own thing. And it's, it definitely feels that way here in Bird Mm. Creek where, yeah, everyone's just kind of on their own agenda and, you keep to yourself, everyone minds their own business, which is nice. Uh, but then going into Anchorage, I feel like Anchorage has, I don't know, kind of a lack of <laughs> culture right now. It's, <laughs> it's definitely staggering being yeah. in Anchorage compared to, say, like Tucson or, again, Bellingham or Telluride. There, there's just a few places that I've had the opportunity to live, and it feels like Anchorage is unfortunately a bit behind the times it's sort of that adage that everything in alaska is sort of 10 years (laughs) late so Mm -hmm. i can't say that there's a ton of great aspects to the community of anchorage what i will say that i appreciate is it's so small still with three to four hundred thousand people that you're just one degree of separation from anybody you need to know and it does feel Mm -hmm. like 
people are very eager to help you succeed and help you get the resources that you need. So I would say for me, that's the community feel that I have in Anchorage is I basically know everybody that I need to know, or I'm going to get to know them pretty quickly. So there's a safety there of living in a smaller city, at least for me. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed the same thing in Ketchikan and by down South standards, Ketchikan is tiny because, you know, 10,000 people is, is mm-hmm. nothing. Um, so people do stick to themselves, but also if you do want to reach out and there is that, that, you know, group of people, there's, there's a, there's an art scene here and there's plenty of stuff here. So if people do want to get involved and if you do want to kind of get out of your cabin or get out of your shell, there's stuff there, which is, which is nice. Cause you all kind of go through the, the winters together. You endure all that stuff together. Uh, you even deal with the tourists during the summer during mm-hmm. together. So it's nice to, to have that community. Yeah. You and I would agree with you wholeheartedly um, on that, even about, uh, Anchorage as well, that you can find pockets of really awesome stuff to do or good food or whatever. I just think that, you know, Anchorage could use a little bit of a facelift one of these years, just a little more progression. <laughs> Cause again, it is staggering when you go visit other cities and you're like, gosh, like cool coffee shops, cool wine bars, really high quality restaurants all over the place where I feel like Anchorage, it's just fewer and far between, but they're out there. They exist. Yeah. <laughs> You would think that Anchorage is being the, the largest city would have some of that stuff. But, yeah, it's kind of – again, I, I only go up there for basketball trips when the team I was helping to coach made state. And so we really didn't get out much. We stayed at the Diamond Center Mall <laughs> or a, a Diamond Center Hotel, went to the mall, and then drove to the school for the games. And that was oh, about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. When you come um, back. You know, Fifth, Fifth, Fifth Avenue Mall, when you're coaching girls basketball, you got to go to the Fifth oh, Avenue yeah, Mall. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Goodness gracious. I think, so that's a perfect example of the unfortunate side. I think of Anchorage, like that is kind of an activity is to like go to the mall as like somewhere to walk around, be inside in the wintertime. Yeah. 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 Uh, So I'm sure you, you know, some people in the Anchorage area that you grew up with that stayed there. Um, You came back, on your own terms, what's, what's kind of the difference there? As, as a high school teacher, I tell students that if they want to come back to catch a can, that's fine. Just do it on your own terms. And there's a difference between doing that and just staying here because at least you've seen outside and you know, for sure that catch cans where mm-hmm. I want to be. Um, what's, what's the, how do you, how do you feel about coming back on your own terms versus just staying? Yeah. I feel like if you just stay, maybe it's harder to appreciate it. Uh, because it's it's maybe what you the only thing you know like I'll just speak for my dad as an example so literally my dad has has lived in the same house and on the same property his whole life and he has traveled but not necessarily actually up and moved somewhere else and when him and I talk about it he'll be he'll mention places like Portland like oh well, Portland would be so cool because it's got all like the good food and it's got the music scene and this and that and I'm like <laughs> Yeah, but have you actually spent some time in downtown Portland? Like, Portland's a beautiful city, but they've definitely got some stuff that they need to, I would say, address. And it it feels dirty in certain parts. And I don't don't want to sound overwhelmingly negative, but I think going and moving somewhere else 
especially a bigger city like a Portland or a Denver or a Seattle, for me, pretty quickly, it's like, wow, I took it for granted that I could drive to even the busiest parking lot in Anchorage at Flat Top and get away from other hikers in less than 10 minutes flat. Like those Mm -hmm. sorts of opportunities that we have to access the backcountry or to just like spread our arms out and get away from other people. It's, we have so much opportunity and I feel like it's easy to take that for granted until you go to another city and you're like, Hey, let's go hiking for the afternoon. Oh shit. It's a Saturday. Like we're never going to get parking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that was a big part that took me back. Those, those bigger cities, you can look at the brochure and great places to eat, a lot of variety when it comes to that. But the reality is you can't afford to do that all the time. You're not going to eat out you know, five nights a week. And then, like you said, like if you want some sort of different lifestyle or different exposure, it's a huge chore to do it. When I lived in California, you're talking you know, two hours minimum to get somewhere mm-hmm. cool. And you get that sort of, all right, I'm getting away. I'm getting my, my, my nature time. Just take a deep breath and, and get to some away from the chaos. But then you got to drive back into it. So you get unwound and then rewound. And then you're back where you started, literally and, you know, metaphysically or whatever. So that's, that's it's, it's pretty yeah, tough. We're, I'm sure you guys have even more access than we do. But for even for us, like we have a boat that we can take out of Whittier. And so... In about an hour, we can leave our house, get through the Whittier Tunnel, get on the water, and then be out in Prince William Sound and go hundreds of miles in any direction. (laughs) It's it's that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff where you can go blueberry picking, and you can catch halibut and rockfish, and go hunting, and just the, the things you can go do that people maybe save for a once in a lifetime trip. If you play your cards mm-hmm. right, it can be every week. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. yeah. Not that we're advocating people moving to Alaska, but uh, that's just one of the things that we <laughs> enjoy. Right. Sure. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the, you know, people are doing studies about, you know, getting outside is good for your, your, your mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, and they recommend people in your kind of your low grade, it, it equals, um, in some cases, rather than take your low grade medication, you could just, you know, go for a hike or deal or, you know, the fitness and nutrition can handle some of those things that could, could help out with depression, things like that. And, you know, you live in a spot that that's just our everyday mm-hmm. and that's, that's, it's so valuable and yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to me how people can live in the big city, but you know, to, uh, each his or her own. So it's, it's. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm pretty happy to like get to live in Alaska. And I think that it's only, it's going to change quite a bit. I would say in both of our lifetimes, it's, we're going to see some massive effects from climate change and I don't know what the hell is happening with our economy and <laughs> who's coming, who's going. It feels very dynamic, but I think that Alaska is mm-hmm. going to become a more and more attractive place in the years to come simply because mm-hmm. I think it's going to get too hot in some of these, these major cities or it's going to yeah. become overly crowded. And like you just said, people are going to be looking for solitude. They're going to be looking for a connection to the outdoors. 
and they're going to head north. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So leading up into, we'll talk to the business, uh, talk about the business in a second here. But you have these trendy cities that you know Aspen was the big one in Colorado, and then Aspen, you know, Bozeman then became the next hip one, and Boulder, and all these different down south cities, Bend, Oregon. Um, that's kind of where you went for the outdoor field lifestyle gear if you had a business, but you decided to start yours in Anchorage. Um, how has that been? What are some of the, the interesting dynamics of owning a business or running a business in Anchorage when some of the outdoor meccas are along the way? Yeah, that's right a really, really, really good question. So I was living in Boulder before I decided to move home to Alaska to start Heather's Choice. And I'm sure there would have been a ton of resources and a ton of opportunity for me in Boulder. But the real reason I started Heather's Choice was because of these pack rafting trips that were pretty remote, pretty far out there. And so just kind of the origin story of the business was really centered around Alaska. So for me, it made a lot of sense to move back here, be sending product samples out with my friends who were going on, let's say, uh, major trips to go pack rafting or fat biking or whatever the deal was. And so moving back felt really important because this is where I thought my core customer base would be. And then additionally, I feel like in these bigger cities, Boulder, Denver, Bozeman, whatever, there's, there's more people, therefore there's more competition. And it's sort of that like big fish in a small pond analogy. I feel like here in Alaska and here in Anchorage, especially Heather's Choice has been able to grow to be kind of like a fairly good sized fish in a pretty small pond. And so we've We've had access to just a ton of resources, a ton of mentors, people come out of the woodwork to help us. And I don't know what my experience would have been starting this in a place like Bozeman or Bend or Boulder, uh, simply because there's a lot of other people doing very similar projects. And so it doesn't stand out as much. Like you kind of blend into, oh yeah, everybody is starting an outdoor brand or everybody has a food company <laughs> where here it's just been interesting to a not necessarily have a ton of other manufacturing businesses to, to refer to. And then definitely not a ton of other outdoor manufacturers who are here. And then a pretty limited number of food entrepreneurs as well outside of, I would say, you know, the, the triad of beer, pizza, and ice cream. <laughs> Those businesses tend to do really, really well and for good reason. So I think it's come with its own challenges of having to defend doing business here in Alaska because the number of people who have said, why don't you move to Boulder? Why don't you move to Bend? Why don't you move this thing all together? Why on God's green earth did you decide to start a food business in Alaska so I have to defend the decision, but the real, one of the main drivers for me right now is saying, wow, like if I don't help try to bolster the outdoor industry in Alaska, or if I don't try to help bolster the food system in Alaska, who's going to do it? And I, I don't think it's okay to sit back and to be like, eh, well, like 
somebody else will will take care of that. Somebody else will really make a big stink about locally sourced food or somebody else will make a big stink about creating great jobs that are not just having to do with extraction. And so even though we play a really, really, really small part in that right now, we still play a part. And I think that that's one of the things that really drives and motivates me right now to keep this thing in Alaska is to prove the point that we can do this in Alaska. We can do it well and we can have a positive impact on our community by providing really good jobs and just helping bolster our local food system and economy. So really it's stubbornness that's keeping me here. (laughs) As you can tell. (laughs) That's great. That's great. So most people who are entrepreneurs, you, you ask them, oh, how'd you get started? And then there's this little spot that's, that's kind of skipped over because it's how you got started and then where you're at today. But everybody has an idea. Everybody wants to write a book, start a podcast, start a business, start or whatever. And then there's an initial difficulty that eliminates most people. And then some people start going through with it and then find, oh, man, this is difficult and don't follow through or at the first huge uh, issue, they, they stop all day. So how did you continue to persevere through all those those difficult times? Because it's not a matter of I have a good business. It started. Everything works perfectly. How did you get through that that difficulty, those trying times? Uh, I don't know. And the reason being is like those, it's not over, and it, it won't be over for the the duration of the business. Like I ask myself that question often of what is driving me to keep going despite so many things going wrong or so many things uh, derailing us or the trials and there's so many reasons to quit. (laughs) And so if you're not super Mm -hmm. strong willed, if you're not super, super duper stubborn or you don't have a really strong why, like the opportunity to quit presents itself every day. Like when I started Heather's Choice, I, I feel like, I started off with some pretty pretty good reasons to throw in the towel, and I cannot tell you really what has almost possessed me to keep going. And right now, it just feels like that test of fortitude. And I had that experience as a college athlete where I had the opportunity to say, screw it, you know, I did two years. I don't need to do the other two. I'm going to go do something totally different. And... Whatever my coach said to me on that day when I thought I was going to quit really caused me to like get back in wholeheartedly. And because I chose to stick with it, I got to see my team win their fifth and sixth consecutive national championships. And that sense of, holy cow, I stuck with it, even though it sucked (laughs) at times, um, I feel like that is a big part of what's driving me as an entrepreneur is being like, I understand that there are times that this sucks. I understand I'm being stretched really, really thin. I understand that the odds are against me and I just want to keep going. And I want to see this through until I can't anymore until like literally Mm -hmm. 
resources dry up or something catastrophic happens or whatever. But until that point, I don't have a really clear reason to quit either. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think everybody has their own justification for why they do it. And I think a lot of people who don't follow through with these things, either an excuse is they didn't come up with that great idea. Well, of course this person's successful because they came up with a great idea. Or their excuse is, well, I'm not that type of person. Mm -hmm. Um, Since I'm a high school English teacher, would your high school English teacher have said, oh, yeah, I totally, Heather Kelly, one day she would totally do this? Or would your high school teacher have said, oh, wow, I wouldn't have expected that out of her? Uh, The most hilarious. These entrepreneurial signals there? Yeah. So my high school English teacher, one of them is Marcy from AK Starfish. I'm, I'm sure you've seen that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I was fortunate enough to be in her sophomore year English class, and Marcy was just starting AK Starfish at the time. So to be fair, like, I had an entrepreneurial English teacher in high school who I think has been a huge influence on me of just like, yeah, you freaking go for it, and you'll be successful. You just have to stay after it. You can't quit after five years or you can't quit when it gets hard or you can't quit after a lean year. Like you just keep Mm -hmm. it going. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What type of influences do you, um, in your day to day or if you do have time for books, podcasts, uh, reading, things like that. Um, what, what are some of the influences that kind of keep you going? The type of people that you surround yourself with? You know, I, as far as books right now, I'm pretty geeked on Gabrielle Bernstein and she, her most recent book is called super attractor. And so it's a lot about getting yourself on the frequency of success or getting yourself on the vibration of what it is you want to attract into your life. So I would say like pretty woo woo, but I feel like, especially in business, things are a lot of times very masculine and very male oriented. Like the numbers add up, like, what's our strategy here? And when are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? What's our team look like? We're ready to go to war. Like it's very, very, very masculine and overall. And for me right now, I feel like part of what is attracting people to Heather's choice and why they're sort of rooting for us is because we are a woman led business and a little bit of an underdog in some ways. And so I'm, I'm really kind of looking for those resources and trying to find, like, how can I approach this from, how can I approach growing this business from a more feminine perspective where it's more about collaboration? It's got to feel good. If it doesn't feel good, we don't do it. We're not going to force things. We're going to attract the right people and the right resources that we need into the business so I'm, I'm really looking for and finding a lot of opportunities like that. And authors like Gabrielle Bernstein or uh, Jen Sincerno, uh, who wrote You Are a Badass, like those kind of women are sort of who I'm trying to surround myself with right now, who have been incredibly successful in their businesses, but maybe done it in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. How important do you think that is to just the overall well-being? I encourage my students to kind of nuke their social media and follow people who are more encouraging. Um, How important do you think that is in just even regular everyday life, not just the entrepreneurial realm? 
think it's critical. I think that we can all do a better job of filtering the stuff that we let come into our social media or our inbox or just our life in general. You know, like that old adage that you are, your life is sort of the sum of the five people closest to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when people oh, yeah. hear that, I yeah. think it's, it's pretty staggering and you're like, ooh. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You need to, to pick your influences and pick them well. And so that's where, you know, we're going through that in the business of just kind of culling, like, okay, if you're not a good cultural fit, like, you're out of here because we're, we're going places. We're trying to create something, and it's hard enough as is. We definitely don't need people's negative energy making it even mm-hmm. more difficult for us to achieve our goals. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some companies, once they start to get a little bit bigger and get some notoriety and, and you know, their circle brightens, uh, brightens, new word, um, gets, uh, gets larger, you reach more people, they kind of lose that, that serve focus that kind of got them attention in the first place. So how do you stay focused on serving your customer rather than just focused on growth? Uh, that's a million dollar question. I think for us right now, this is pretty front of mind for me because I really got into the business knowing I wanted to put good, healthy food in people's packs. And I feel like we have achieved that goal and our, our quality of our food has never been better because we've gotten better at our manufacturing and our quality control and all of that. So the food we're offering is really, really good. I also think that right now we are not doing a good job of educating people on good, healthy nutrition. And so we're losing a lot of people just because they don't get like why we use white rice instead of brown rice. Why do we use wild caught salmon instead of farm raised salmon? Why do we use grass fed bison instead of conventional beef? Like I've done a pretty poor job focusing on delivering value to our customers by really honing in on giving them the nutrition information that they want. And so it's, like I said, it's a million dollar question for me right now because I'm trying to figure out how can I grow the business to the point where it's financially viable, right? Like it's big enough to actually feed and water our staff and like keep the lights on. But how do I also sit down and provide value for our customers and help them to really truly understand this is why nutrition really matters. This is why I think Mm -hmm. that it is worth you spending twice as much on our products compared to what you can get at your local sporting goods store. uh, Because I believe that food will either make or break your long-term health. So Mm -hmm. again, it's a really great question and I have not figured it out yet. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the frustrating things. You look at our current state of health and there's so much information available and it's so easy. And I think a lot of people read things and they want to do better, but we still are addicted to shortcuts and we're still addicted to, to trashy foods. And it's just, it's amazing to me that in with access to, to so much information and we know that so many things hurt us and yet we still have this just tragic flaw of, of you know, our, our chronic illnesses getting worse um, uh, diabetes and, and obesity, it's, it's unbelievable that there's so much information, so many people willing to educate others. And yet, you know, culturally we're not, we're not heeding those warnings. We're not listening. Yeah. It's gotta be frustrating, especially since that's kind of your, 
that's just, that is your business. Well, I, I think that for me right now, it just feels like, as you mentioned, there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of noise. There's a ton of noise out there. And so that's where I'm trying to figure out how we can help people and how we can provide information, resources, hows and whys without adding a ton of noise to an already very noisy climate. And so I think that that's another reason where I've kind of held back from trying to like get in people's faces on like, Hey, this is why safe starches matter. Hey, here's why you should. <laughs> like people hear that shit all the time, whether or not they actually do anything about it is completely on them. And so I think that that's where for us, potentially the answer is just to focus on the core group of people that we have that are already speaking our language, who, who want to hear it, who are making changes, who are experiencing the benefits of making change in their own nutrition and focus on talking to those people because leading by example, as far as I'm concerned, is the only way to help impact change on a large scale. Like people see through hypocrisy so freaking fast that you just have to be a good example and a good influence. And then finally, when the time is right for somebody, they will come to you and say, Hey, what did you do? How did you do it? Mm -hmm. I'm ready for change. Mm -hmm. My, uh, my buddy Danny started caffeine and kilo. So he's an entrepreneur too. Uh, he was a, he was a teacher with me, uh, um, first and then he started that and he's in the health fitness and all that. And he says that you know, obviously the diet that you're that that's the best diet is the one that you're going to keep and so he allows himself one of the three each day that way he doesn't have an issue with presenting his diet he says that he can either have a dessert a drink or an appetizer hmm. once per day not not one of each but one total that way there's no some crazy sunday binge day where you just go nuts but because he allows himself that break if he wants to you know he finds himself not wanting it as much but he allows himself uh, part of that, you know, into, into his habits. So he doesn't feel guilty. Doesn't feel bad like a loser. Uh, do you have one? Because you have uh, history. You got a your degree in evolutionary nutrition. Is that right? Yep. So what's your what would be like your one tip for eating healthy, um, other than buy Heather's Choice? <laughs> yeah, eat more bathrooms. I. Uh... <laughs> I think that one of the biggest factors that trips people up is not getting enough good quality protein. And I see this for myself that if I start my day with a protein rich breakfast, so egg today was eggs and caribou sausage and tomorrow will probably be eggs and bacon, like getting good quality protein and a pretty significant amount of it at every meal, I feel like just has such a profound impact on our appetite regulation and provides us with so much satiety after our meals that we don't walk around just like hangry monsters the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like, let's say you skip breakfast, you just have coffee, off to work you go, it's like 10, 11 o'clock and it's like, dude, I haven't eaten anything mm. and like little Debbie snack cakes or whatever my coworker brought in looks pretty good right now. And let's say it's, yeah. it's refined carbohydrates or it's a baked good or whatever. You eat that and it just puts you on this whole insulin roller coaster. And I feel like that is what screws people up is they're trying to not eat too many calories. So they're skipping meals. 
or whatever the case may be. And really their body is like, Hey, 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 like we are in a catabolic state. I'm breaking down. Like I need calories for energy. I need good fats for hormones. I need protein so I can like maintain my lean muscle mass. Your body's crying for food and you're trying to ignore it in favor of not taking in too many calories. And it backfires so intensely for people where all of a sudden they can't control their appetites. They've been starving themselves for goodness knows how long. And then they binge and they purge and they start the cycle all over mm-hmm. again. So if yeah. I could give one piece of advice, it would be to sit down and at every meal, if you could get 25 grams of protein every time you sit down to eat, whether it's a meal or a mini meal, like a snack or a post-workout or a pre-workout, it's a significant amount of protein, but that in and of itself will dramatically change your relationship with food just because your body isn't starving all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a basketball coach who is you know, telling kids that you got to eat because you're burning so many calories and they're worried about, well, you know, I want a six pack, you know, tip, stereotypically the guys want a six pack and the girls want to be thin. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you got to eat, you need the energy. Like you're going to go, you're going to show up to practice and you're going to be at a, at a big calorie deficit and you will probably feel it. If you don't feel it, you, you don't notice it, but it's still there. You have to eat and you have to eat good stuff just because your stomach is full does not mean that you ate a meal. Totally. If you had a half a box of Triscuits, that that's not a meal. That's a lot of sugar or salt too. I can't even imagine that. But it's 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 crazy that uh, you know what what some of the diets is. And I, I think back to what I was eating when I was when I was in high school. But you know there was breakfast every morning and uh, ate lunch at the school, and then parents had meals at home. And you know not everybody's getting that, which is just tragic. Yeah, I can definitely yeah. relate to that as a you know a former collegiate athlete of. At one point, my blood sugar regulation was so bad, I couldn't get through probably about an hour and a half long workout without needing to eat like a Cliff Bar or something. And I feel mm. like if you just sat down and taught people about blood sugar regulation and got them to really start to track and to notice the times when they get a little shaky or they can't focus or like their stomach stomach is rumbling, but they're trying to ignore it. If people started to key in on that and then figure out what meals they eat and how that impacts their blood sugar a couple hours later, it would change their life. Because I think that Mm -hmm. not only high school kids, but college kids and full-grown adults struggle with appetite regulation and actually sitting down and taking the time to eat a full balanced meal. And I think it's screwing with them. I think it's screwing with their energy and their performance, their results in the gym. And it's life changing stuff. And it's not that you ever fully figure it out. Cause I'm sure even your buddy who's a health and fitness geek has seasons where he's like, Whoa, (laughs) went off and like during that couple of weeks, like going back to what I know works for me. So Mm-hmm. It's not striving for perfection day in and day out. It's just noticing so that when you do stray from the nutrition plan that works for me, for you, you're self-motivated to go back to what makes you feel good because you found yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's empowering yourself too, rather than someone else. If you know, you don't necessarily need a fitness coach or a nutrition. You know, if you figure out, if you do a little experimentation and if you empower yourself to be able to 
feel better, then, you know, that feeling better in the long term is going to be way better than the short term, how good these Skittles taste. And that's, that's, that's huge. Totally. And I'm sure it's the same with your high schoolers. Like they have to experience it for themselves because whatever you say just falls on deaf ears, especially as they're exactly they're like, whatever, girl, oh, yeah. you don't know anything. <laughs> yep. That's right. And, and there are times why I even say, you know what, I know you're going to ignore this because you've been hearing these sort of things from so many different people since you, you could hear, but I'm going to say it anyway. So at least I said it and maybe I'll say it in a different way, but you have to listen to it one more time. <laughs> yep. That sounds about right. So, <laughs> I definitely, yeah. I think that that's where, again, if, if people are willing to do the experiments and to find what does make them feel good, then it's just self-perpetuating because nobody wants to feel bad ever. Mm -mm. No, no. Well, uh, Let's go. Let's go to the the, the pitch here. What um, what makes uh, Heather's choice different? Why should people buy it? Uh, where can they get it? Where can they follow you, find you, and all that stuff? Sure. So for anybody who doesn't know, Heather's choice is a line of dehydrated meals and snacks that we make in Anchorage, Alaska. First thing that's different: if you have ever gone on a backpacking trip and you've eaten freeze dried food before, you're pretty familiar with the meals that you just pour hot water into the bag let it sit, and then you can eat straight out of the package. That's what we make, except ours is dehydrated instead of freeze-dried. And so the big difference there, and the reason why I love dehydrated food instead of freeze-dried, is that our product packs down smaller, so it takes up less space in your pack. So imagine a grape versus a raisin. So a grape, if you freeze-dry it, it's going to maintain a pretty similar size and shape to a whole grape, whereas... If you take a grape and you dehydrate it, you get a raisin. <laughs> and it takes up a lot less space and packs down smaller, has a different texture. Raisins are delicious. And so that's, I think that's one of the big things that I have to kind of teach people about is like, hey, you know, yes, we are a backpacking food company, but our process is a little different. And what you're going to find is that ours is packing down smaller in your pack, saving you pack space for your 10, 15, 20, 30 day trips. And then additionally, it's gonna have a different texture and mouthfeel. Uh, so we really strive for all of our meals to taste like a home cooked meal. And the way we do that is we take recipes from my home kitchen and we scale them up to 40 gallons. <laughs> and then we dehydrate them when they're fully cooked. And so then when you add hot water to the package, you get something that ideally tastes like a home cooked meal. So nice. yeah, it's, it's a fun, fun business right now. As of today, 2019, we have five dinners, five breakfasts and eight flavors of our coconut packaroons and packaroons we consider to be our gateway drug because I don't know why everybody loves them. <laughs> They're just huh. people get, people find us because of the packerins. Uh, we distribute those to coffee shops, grocery stores. They're in 25 REI stores. You'll find them in outdoor gear shops and people try the packerins. They're these delicious coconut cookies that pack 180 calories per ounce. So they're just whopping full of calories. People try those and they're like, okay, great. Bring it on. Like show me more, give me more stuff. And so we, Offer the just add hot water breakfast and dinners and 
everything is super good, high quality food, all of it's gluten, soy, and dairy free. And we have a team right now of six people who work full time in the kitchen, just laboring over making (laughs) packaged foods that we distribute all across the country from Anchorage. Nice. Uh, Where can people find you? Social media, websites? Yep. Heatherschoice.com is where you can find our full product line. We're pretty active on Instagram. That's obviously how you and I connected. So if you send us a DM, I will answer. (laughs) (laughs) And then if people want to find us in stores, you can find us at Sportsman's Warehouse in Alaska, uh, REI across the Western States, and also as many independent gear shops as we can work with. So if you don't find our products at your favorite local outdoor gear store or natural food co-op, let us know because we definitely want to make sure that our food is very, very accessible to people. And we're always looking for new retail partners. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again for, uh, for your time, man. This is, this, this is great stuff. Uh, Really appreciate the Alaska aspect of it, and then your product. The first one I had was the African peanut super stew. Is this? Stew, stew, yeah, that's a good. One. I had it while I was out duck hunting, and I was like, "This tastes like an actual like meal. This doesn't taste like you know I'm, I'm eating a mountain house. This is this is good." No, that's awesome. Yeah, if you ever come by, if you're ever in Anchorage, come by our kitchen because. The day that we make African peanuts stew, the whole kitchen <laughs> smells so freaking good. Because like I say, it's literally a 40-gallon batch. Mm. And we have this big, long paddle. It almost looks like a witch's cauldron. But then we just dehydrate it, and into the bag it goes. And that's what you get to take into the backcountry with you. Nice. Well, since I don't coach basketball anymore, I won't be up there for, I, I don't know when. It's back to the old, you know, Alaska being five different states, and I'm in a different state than the Anchorage, Anchorage Alaska state. But, um, yeah, need to, need to make it up there. That's, uh, that's Alaska's pr- playground. Is that uh, Kenai Peninsula up there? Is that what they call Alaska's playground? I think so. Yeah, just south of us, the Kenai Peninsula, and it's super fun. But I would... I would argue that you have equally as much cool stuff to do in your neck of the woods. I just went to Juneau for the first time this year and was like, wow, this yeah. place is beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's tough to lose no matter where you're at. Except maybe Barrow yeah. today. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not winter solstice on the North Slope. No. We could do without that. No, I, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm sure it's got its great points, but I, it, the sun's kind of nice. Yep, I could go for some more sun for sure. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity and hope we get to send you with more good food on your future trip. Awesome, awesome. sounds good. Thanks, appreciate it.